I'm always thankful for Paul and the worship team. Uh, we're going to move back into the other building next week. And uh, I am sure that uh, that's a lot of extra work for Paul, uh, moving us back over there technologically. I want to thank this church for uh, availing themselves of us. Uh, I know it's been work for them as well. And uh, I'm always thankful for Matt and Diane, their ministry with us, their testimony, uh, the testimony of their marriage. It is a testimony of faith, isn't it? Somebody said that marriage is where grace displays itself most fully. I'm praying they have had a good time and continue to have a good time, and I'm praying that they uh, have a good trip, uh, 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 a safe trip home. Bow with me as we step into God's Word. Father, it is so easy to take your Word lightly. I pray we would hear it we would do what it says. That's where James started out. And I pray we would do that, Father. Be not only, be not hearers only, but be doers of the word. I pray as we finalize this book that you would bless us. You would encourage us, Father, and you would instruct us with your grace and with your truth. And I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Charles Dickens begins his classic novel tale of two cities with, with these words. It was the best of times. It was the, the worst of times. It was the age of fooliness. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Dickens' point as he sets the stage for this monumental work is that life is not level. Life is not smooth. It, it, it's rough. It's, it's unruly. It comes to us in unexpected ways. Life at best is a patchwork. That said, how are we as believers to respond to the patchwork nature of life, the, the ups and downs, the, the uncertainties, the, the unruliness that rolls in on us? How are we as believers to respond to the patchwork nature of life. In this last section, uh, 13 to 20, James closes his book. These are his final words to these people that he's written to. His final words to you and me. What is it he wants to communicate? What is it that he wants his readers to remember overall? What is it that he wants us to take home with us. 
The text looks at the patchwork patterns of our life in three specific areas. That of sickness, or that of suffering, sickness, and straying. We could call these the, the three S's of life. Suffering, sickness, and straying. Uh, but what does he have to say about that first glitch in this patchwork of our life, suffering? Look at verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? That's the word suffering here. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. There's a huge gulf between uh, those words trouble <laughs> and happy, isn't there? Is anyone troubled? Is anyone happy? They're on opposite ends of the spectrum. They're like uh, uh, mountaintops and valleys. But this is where life takes us, up and down. This word trouble is a, a broad term. It stresses uh, difficulties and pressures that life exerts upon us. It covers things like a, a checkbook that's constantly falling too short of the needs Relationships that have turned ugly. Relationships that uh, are rough. How about a, a rude employment situation? Any difficult or, or complicated situation is within the, the, the scopes of this word trouble. Trouble is anything that produces anxiety. Loss of sleep, mood swings, stress, anything like that. Trouble is anything that, call, that uh, causes our zest for living to, to drop out the bottom. Anything that brings suffering. Now, most of you probably don't remember the 1968 Democrat National Convention in Chicago. It was preceded by hype and by... The expectation, excitement was, was sizzling at the outset. But real quickly, things began to crumble. First problems unrolled when someone gave out the DNC phone number saying that if you're sick and tired of the way things are, you could call Fed Up 68. Uh, the number was 333. 8768, but they said it was fed up 68. Call that number. So here are all these operators on this bank of phones getting call after call after call, a, a, a continuous flood by the thousands from people who were fed up, people who were hostile, people who were angry, people who were agitated, people who weren't going to settle for anything they were told. It was a time when uh, liberal politics imploded on itself as the progressives of the party crashed down on the moderates. If you know the story, eventually it gave way to protests in the streets and riots and arrests and trials that drug on and on and on. Nothing went as expected. The entire 1968 Democrat National Convention crashed and burned in Chicago. 
what has come crashing down in your life? And what should your response be to it? This trouble that has come bearing down on your life. As believers in Jesus Christ, how should we act? What should we do? James tells us here, doesn't he? Three words, very simply, he says, he should pray there in verse 13. He or she should pray. Three words. If he or she is happy, the the response should be praise. But if trouble vexes, the response is clear, concise prayer. Go to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. Put it in his hands. 83-year-old Tilly Tudor discovered what all this meant. Tilly was uh, headed to the airport in the dark early morning hours one Saturday when she drove off the I-595 bridge uh, in Florida. She drove off the bridge and in 40 feet down into the swamp of the Everglades. Two Passing motorists saw it and reported it. The firemen came and they looked for her. They used big floodlights to try to find her, and they couldn't find her. So they left. Tilly Tudor was trapped in her car until a passerby found her on Tuesday morning. Can you imagine that? Five days, what is that? Tilly Tudor says, it was quite maddening, it was painful. I was bitten all over my body, I screamed, I I blew my horn, I did everything I could possibly do to attract attention. And then the horn died. The battery went dead. I prayed, I screamed, I raged, I cursed, waiting for a little help, hoping somebody would hear me. He or she should pray. Now, Tilly adds some other thoughts to that. Some of those we could probably leave out, but I'll tell you what, when you're caught in something like that, frustration gets to you, doesn't it? But she did pray. And the Lord finally answered. In verse 14, we find the second of these patchwork glitches. Sickness. It says, is uh, any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Healing. Sometimes this is done through more conventional means with uh, doctors and medicine. Other times it involves a, a, a supernatural work of God himself. And the text also talks about the elders of the local church coming into the home and and praying and anointing with oil as a means to bringing about healing. Too often we give too little credit where credit is due. 
This is not talking about faith healers and a big showy event. It's talking about the local church and, and leaders of the local church coming into the home and prayer. The emphasis is not on the event, it's on prayer. Prayers that are powerful and effective because they're uttered by uh, humble men of God. Humble people, just like you and me. We're talking about prayers that are powerful, prayers that are, are sincere, prayers of faith. And we're also talking about prayers that leave the response in the heart of God for his answer, whatever it is. Now, this link between prayer and healing has more recently been discovered by the scientific community. The church has known about it uh, for how long? 2,000 years? But the scientific community has finally fallen in step. You know, we've been told all year long to follow the science. Well, let's follow the science here. Researchers at San Francisco General Hospital found that victims of heart attack, heart failure, and other cardiac problems who were remembered in prayer fared better than those who were not. Cardiologist uh, Randy Bird assigned one group to a uh, prayed for and another equal group to uh, not prayed for. All the patients were in the intensive coronary care unit. Uh, doctors and patients and nurses didn't know which group these patients were in. Prayer groups... Uh, were scattered around the nation, and they were only given the first name, the, the diagnosis, and the prognosis of these patients. The study says that the results were dramatic. The prayed-for group had significantly fewer complications than the unremembered group. And fewer members of the prayed-for group died. The not-for-prayed group was was five times, listen to that, five times more likely to develop infections requiring antibiotics and three times more likely to develop lung conditions leading to further heart failure. And guess what? This is not some fluke report, guys. It's uh, published in the proceedings of the American Heart Association. Prayer brings the... the the great healer of heaven to the bedside of the sick where he ministers his, his grace and, and his provision as he sovereignly chooses. In this section about prayer and sickness, the text also brings up sin. Not always, but sometimes. Uh, sin is the cause of sickness. Now, we don't like this connection, do we? And why not? Well, because we're all sinners. We we know what's in our hearts, don't we? We're all sinners. We all fit in this rubric. But you know what? God takes care of that too. The remedy is repentance and confession. That's how he takes care of it. Confession, not only to the Lord, but confession to those intimates in in, in your life that will sincerely pray for you, that will take you to the Lord. 
Before we leave this subject, I want to add a word of caution. This is not a blanket formula for healing, making it it's some hoop to jump through and then obligating the Lord to, to answer according to our desires is wrong. The Lord will answer every prayer and every situation according to his goodwill. We're to exercise our faith in him actively, trusting in him for his answer to our prayer, whatever it is. That said, when you find yourself in the midst of sickness, pray. If you have sinned, seek forgiveness and pray. If it's serious enough, have the elders of the church come and pray over you. But by all means, pray. In good times, in bad, in, in health, and in sickness, by all means, pray. The final patchwork piece in the, the text is straying. It's that last paragraph there, verses 19 through 20. My brothers, if any one of you, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, while prayer is not specifically mentioned here, it's implicit. James is closing his letter with a, a, a plea about prayer. This is what he wants to leave with us. This is what he wants us to take home. We in the church are to minister to one another, and this is nowhere more important than when one of us strays. The, the, the word, word wander there suggests a, a gradual sliding out of the will of God, a gradual slipping away from his truth and into falsehood. It's the same thought given in the Old Testament term, backsliding. We, with today's stress on autonomy and individuality, tend to minimize how, how dangerous this situation. Hey, we live in a pluralistic society, don't we? I, I can live my life the way I want to live it, can't I? It's a constitutional right or a pluralistic society. I can live my life the way I want to, can't I? If you look at this text, do you see the word death there? How serious this is? It's not a personal choice. It's something serious. James is talking about those who, who stray beyond the limits of God's grace. They, they, they step out from under the umbrella of his grace and into the way of the world. He or she is in vital and conspicuous danger and needs to return to the shelter of God's blessing. Yes, we're talking about repentance. And guess what? This may include people who are in the church. People who, for whatever reason, are here, but whose heart really isn't in it. They're really not in what's going on. They're really not concerned about the truth of God and how its implications for their life. They're religious, but they ignored the implications of his truth. 
Fort Wayne Bible College when a chapel speaker canceled at the last minute. The, the president of the school called for uh, student testimonies. And young people stepped up and they shared whatever they were going to share. And then one student had the sincerity to step up and confess his strain. He was in Bible college, but he was straying. He was going through all the religious motions, but he was straying. But he had the sincerity to step up and talk about it. When he sat down, it was silent. And then other young people began to stand. And they began to talk with sincerity about their lives, about the sharing. In fact, they lined up to confess their hatefulness, their worldly practices, their negativism, their refusal to be accountable, whatever it was, they lined up. And they lined up not just for the hour of the, of the chapel, but for hour upon hour upon hour. Asked uh, why these believers were getting themselves straightened out. Fort Wayne's Grant Hotson replied, they're tired of the sham. They're tired of the sham. Many churches, he said, offer them little to cling to in a world falling apart spiritually when they're looking for something. Folks, James is offering us something. As he closes his book, he is offering us something, something beyond the sham, something beyond the sham of ritual, something beyond the sham of religion. Something beyond the sham of socializing. Something beyond the sham of churchianity. He's offering us a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You and me. That's what James is talking about. A life-changing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, not ritual, not religion, but a relationship. A relationship that was given to make of you and me a holy people. Again, when you find yourself or others in the midst of straying, pray. Commit yourself to praying. Interact with God and then interact with the individual that's straying. And allow God to do his work. If you're the one straying, pray, interact with God. Look for something beyond ritual. Neatly tucked in this uh, patchwork of suffering, sickness, and straying is a statement about Elijah the prophet. Uh, verse 17. Elijah was a man just like us. He, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the, the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. You think this text is about prayer? <laughs> James wants his readers, you and me, committed to prayer. Prayer in our lives is to be the center of our lives. 
It says that James was a man just like us. Did you catch that? A man just like us. But, but wait a minute, isn't this Elijah the prophet? Elijah the inaugural prophet? Elijah the prophet by which all of the other prophets are measured? Elijah the monumental saint of God? Isn't that who we're talking about here? A man just like us, really? Yes, a man or woman just like each and every one of us in this room. He was a normal human being, an everyday person. If he was to walk in here, you wouldn't see anything unusual about him. Just like you and me. It's so common for us to put the saints of Scripture up on on pedestals, isn't it? We uh, elevate them and we idealize them as if they were bigger and, and better above us in their mind in our minds they become gods with little g's right uh, one of Kathy's first discoveries when she became a believer was that the, the heroes of the Bible the heroes and the heroines of the Bible were flawed how many years ago was that honey long time. She'd been raised in a church. She had heard all the stories. And she put them up on pedestals. As she became a believer, she began to study the Bible and she found out that Moses wasn't a, a superhuman saint. He, he was flawed with, with shortcomings. She saw that when God tried to call him, he tried to to weasel out on God. And then when he finally did come, she saw what God could do with a weasel. If only he would give his life over to the Lord. Oh, sure, Moses still made mistakes. But the fact is the Lord can do marvelous things when we turn our lives over to him. Then she saw Abraham and how he treated his wife and David, how he had an affair and then killed the gal's husband, committed murder. She discovered how flawed the saints of Scripture were. Everyday human beings just like us. And what the Lord can do in the lives of everyday human beings like us if we just let him. And this is James' point. Elijah was just like us. He was a simple human being with all of our inconsistencies and all of our inadequacies, but he was a human being who let God be God. Do you let God be God? In your life, do you let God be God? As you you go about the patchwork life that you live. The saints of Scripture had two things of common. One, they were sinners with patchwork lives, just like us. Ordinary people who, who just like you and me, had ordinary existences. And they also knew when they stood in the presence of God that they were sinners. 
Sinners saved by grace. Sinners who, without grace, had no hope. Just like you and me. And two, they found what God could do with ordinary people. If only they turned themselves over to him. If only they prayed. If only they let God be God. The addition of uh, Elijah in this closing segment uh, uh, about prayer ought to tell you something. It ought to thrill your everyday heart. It ought, ought to tell you that our patchwork lives are no match for the power of prayer. Elijah was just like you and me, and he prayed, and look what happened. Look what God did. It should lift us with reassurance every morning to pursue holiness in our lives as we, we set out on that day. It should tuck us in at night, assured that the Lord is our God and that he has things well within his hands. It should charge us with enthusiasm and challenge us with purpose as we, we tread the patchwork nature of our lives. We might be inadequate, but he's not. What a wonderful truth for James to leave us with, huh? What a wonderful truth for us to, to take home as we finish this letter. Our patchwork lives are no match for the power of prayer. Arloft and Hudson tells a, a story about a textile factory where a, a sign hung prominently over each loom. It read, if your thread gets tangled, send for the foreman. Pretty simple, communicates what needs to be communicated. A, a new employee started her job at, at, at her loom, and she soon found her threads tangled. She tried to untangle them. She, they just got worse. Finally, in utter desperation, she called for the foreman. And the, the foreman arrived, and he, he looked at her machine in the tangled mess. And he said, why didn't you call for me sooner? I did my best, she replied in her defense. Doing your best, he responded, is sending for me. This is James' message for us, isn't it? This is what James wants embedded in our minds as, as he closes. When life gets all tangled up, call for God. And why? Because our patchwork lives are no match for the power of prayer. Bow with me. Father, all too often, we lose sight of who we are and what we should be doing. We allow the patchwork nature of our lives to take control. Our suffering, our sickness, our straying, we allow it to take control and set the dynamics of our lives. Most tragic, Father, we forget that you are God, our God. 
and that we need to let you be God. We need to give to you your rightful place and submit ourselves to our rightful place, Father. I pray that each and every one of us here this this afternoon hears James' message. That each and every one of us will begin to pray. Pray anew like we've never prayed before. That we will commit our lives to prayer in good times and in bad times. We will seek your face, your love, your provision for us, Father. Your goodness. We will let you be God. And we will remember who we are. And Father, I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all as we dismiss.